0: Cancel Whoopi, cancel the elites, and even cancel the golden Crow. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 269. It is February 3rd, 2022. Happy Chinese New Year. If you happen to be celebrating the Chinese New Year here on the show, we are celebrating just another day of goodness and wildness on on the internet web, on the world, in the world, especially when it comes to the story with this golden corral that we'll we'll come up with towards the uh, middle of the show with, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Before I get into today's episode, missiles are continuing to fly over the Arabian Peninsula with the Houthis attempting to land another ballistic missile in the UAE upon the visiting of the Israeli prime minister to Abu Dhabi. Uh, it luckily, praise God, alhamdulillah, they shot this ballistic missile down. But I said it in the previous episode, I need to say it again. If this was If this was happening anywhere else in the world, if this was in New York City, if this was LA, if this was Moscow, I, people would be losing their minds. People would be uh, war drums. People would be freaking out. And it just seems like, well, we're just going along as business as usual over here. And I understand why the tactic of the Houthis is to terrorize. It is terror. It is pure terrorism um, and it's fear. And we're talking about the contagion. Of fear today, Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Things are continuing to shift and change, not just on a global scale, but even specifically here in the Middle East, here in the Arabian Peninsula. We are going to continue to see big changes socially, politically. Uh, It's and I do not mean those for the bad. I, I think we're going to see some amazing shifts, but I think it's going to also mean difficult and hard times. And I think that's going to be across the world. We see right now tensions building up between Russia and the Ukraine. What does that mean on a global scale? We see Canada falling apart. We see America continuing to go crazy. They've been going crazy for a long time now, as long as I can remember. But that means problems. Problems are not always a bad thing. Problems are a good thing. In that, you can be a person that solves people's problems. That's what leaders do, and you are a leader in some regard. Now, whether that is just leading yourself as an individual, whether that's leading your family, leading your team, even if you're not in a leadership position, you could be leading your team because people are looking to you as for social cues of how to respond to a situation. What's the attitude I should have towards this? We can lead. influence, even if we don't have a title, it's actually a much more powerful position to lead from. I was telling my son this the other day, that leaders are also, also followers. Leaders are followers. Everyone is following someone and everyone is leading someone. So leaders are people who solve problems for people. And if there are bigger problems that are happening across the globe That means we can solve problems, whether it's for our family, for our community, for our friends. We can solve and should be solving problems. And that's what we talk about here on the show. How do we create strong, robust, personal family and corporate culture or social culture? I guess we don't really talk about corporate stuff very much, but social culture and fabric so that we can withstand when the trials and the tribulations come, because they will come and they are coming. Speaking of trials and tribulations, they are coming to Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi, a famous voice on The View. We've played her clips a few times. I can't think of nearly anything I agree with her on. And she's being canceled this week for her statements on what she said regarding the Holocaust. So the backstory, there's this book, Moss, mouse, uh, a graphic novel, a kind of cartoon novel on the Holocaust. And there's some pictures of nudity. There's some swearing. And a school board in America decided to take it out of their curriculum for reading the Holocaust. Now, what this means is that they're still going to study something about the Holocaust. They're just not going to use this book, which is I, I studied English literature. I don't think we should be canceling any books. Uh, I can understand why a school board would have to make that decision, whether I agree with it or not. That's a hard choice. I'm not. I'm not sitting in the position of that school board. But I think things like the Holocaust, where 6 million Jews died, we ought to look at that from a graphic standpoint. We need to understand not just on a theoretical level, but we all need to understand what was really happening there, including Whoopi Goldberg. Here is Whoopi.
1: So two schools are being accused of banning books after one in Washington state <coughs> pulled to kill a mockingbird off the required reading also list. Also a great after book. Complaints from students and parents, including a former black student, who said it made her uncomfortable and a Tennessee school pulled the graphic novel Mouse?
0: So, first on To Kill a Mockingbird, yes, that book should make you uncomfortable. That is real history. I don't understand why we're pulling that book. But again, it's a school board, it's just not on required reading anymore. Continues.
1: Out of their lessons on the Holocaust, because it contained some nudity and some bad language. Personally, I'm shocked because, you know, given the story of mouse, I'm, I'm surprised that that's what, that's what made you uncomfortable. The fact that there was some nudity and, uh,
0: Whoopi and I agree on a sentence. This is, this is amazing. I actually, there's some things I do, uh, agree with her on in part, but in whole, there's some big issues. She continues.
1: I mean, it's, It's about the Holocaust, the killing of six million people. But that didn't didn't bother you. Mm. But the the naked I'm not sure that they don't use the naked part as a kind of a uh, canard to throw you off from Uh from the fact that they don't like history that makes white people look bad. Mm
0: Oh, so so the argument that they're really making here, and this is really through the, the whole segment. We're not going it's a six minute segment, we're not gonna play the whole thing, but the argument that's being made is aha, the reason they canceled it is because they're actually white supremacists that canceled it that don't like their their history. They don't like the fact that it's exposing a bad side of white history because it's quote unquote, and we're gonna get into this, quote unquote, white on white. It's not a race issue, says Whoopi in this next clip. She says, oh, it's just white. Be- it's just hum- humans being ugly, which before we get into this next clip where she says this, I, I want to say this. I-, I do agree with that, except for the fact that I agree with that all the time. Whoopi does not agree with that all the time. Apparently, what happened in the Holocaust had nothing to do with with racism And according to their definition, it doesn't because they have redefined the left, progressive left, have redefined racism. We'll get into that. Here's the clip that really got Whoopi into big trouble that's causing her to be canceled by her own show. Let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. Wait, I'm going to play that again. Oh my goodness! And let's
1: be truthful about it because the Holocaust
0: isn't about race. The Holocaust isn't about race. Then what's it about? Whoopi, please enlighten me. No. No.
1: It's well, not about race. Well, no, it's Jews about a different but, race. But it's it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man.
0: That's about man's inhumanity to man. Yes. It's true it's about man's inhumanity to man and it was racial. Remember the white what being white is a fairly new thing. Before you were German or you're Italian, you're Jewish, you're Scottish, you're a gypsy, you're not white. You're Greek, you're French, you're Spanish, you're not white. But now what progressives have done, and this was intentional, this was an intentional change in language, even starting back in the, the the 30s and 40s, to begin to change some of this language to have more, to have actually more infighting between people, which goes on.
1: That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's, well, about but it's, not, it's June, not about and, ideal and, and race. And it's, and it's, and but these are two Romans. white groups of people.
0: Uh-huh, these are two white groups of people. So it couldn't be about race because in their view, race is the color of your skin, which has a real issue. As a real issue, what happens when you have an, an albino or someone who is, quote unquote, white passing? I've had many conversations where I said, well, this, you know, this person. Take some whatever random story. If I bring up an example of someone who is succeeding in life or someone who commits a crime and saying, Well, they were actually Hispanic. Oh, well, they're white passing. Okay. So now anyone who is doing something and they're kind of white passing, they fall in the white category. And it's all depending on the tone of your skin. So it's not about race, it's about color in their mind. And even that is arguable. The problem with race, and we've mentioned it here, it's this term that is made, it's not made up, but it's made up in a way that it's not concrete. It's not definable. Because you could have someone from a Tongan background that has very white skin, and you could say, well, they're white passing, and therefore they don't really count as a person of color. Oh, my goodness. OK, this clip goes on. Well,
1: how do we have to black people see them too. as white? They, but they you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. The yeah. minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white because black, white, Jews, uh, it's everybody eats each other. So is it?
0: Yes. So here, here's here's where I do agree with the sentence. But her argument, she's using this sentence differently in her argument. I agree. Everyone eats each other. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Jewish, Arab, uh, Polish. I'm Polish. It doesn't matter. Everyone eats each other. And this is called racism. That is racism. Everyone eats each other. But what Whoopi is saying, ah, no, that's not racism. That's just humans being bad, humans being bad people. But that's not racism. Racism has to do with, with, power structures and the color of your skin. And a Jew, because they're so successful, most Jews, the Jewish community is mean less than 1% of the global population, and yet they they're very successful as an ethnic group. Well they couldn't possibly it couldn't possibly be racism because they are higher up in the power structure. And it doesn't fit into our narrative of people of color. And it depends on the color of your skin. But what the Holocaust does show is that racism is actually about, normally, across the the world, minus America. In America today, the the way that the social fabric is made up, to a large extent, we're really not looking at what is your ethnic background. Me being mostly a Pole doesn't really affect my standing in America. Before, before even 50 years ago, whether you're Italian, whether you're Polish, whether you're Irish, those things really matter. People, the Irish really did, did get lynched in America because they were Irish. But it's it's now melted where now whiteness is being all clumped in, so you're not seeing it as much. But I bring that point up to bring this up. in the rest of the world, pretty much everywhere else, your tribe, your ethnicity, it matters. It is the question that is asked. Where are you from? What is your family? What is your status? What is your, your, your tribe that you come from? And not only is it brought up and it's important, and a lot of stereotypes are attached to that, and some of them, not all stereotypes are bad. Some of these stereotypes are actually quite accurate. In the fact that we can understand from a cultural point of view what, how someone might behave in a a certain job or position, so I'm not against stereotypes. You stereotype me, I stereotype you. Everyone gets stereotyped. It's the way that our minds are able to process an immense amount of information, but. These ethnic stereotypes in many places across the globe defines the salary of someone written into law, defines someone's salary. Oh, you're from Bangladesh? Well, this is how much you should be able to make or the the going rate, the floor rate for your ethnicity in this job. You're an engineer from Bangladesh? Well, here is your ceiling. Here is what we should pay you. Oh, you're an engineer from India? Here's what we should pay you. Oh, you're an engineer from Europe? Here's what we should pay you. It's based on ethnicity. It's based on your passport. It's based on where you're from, not based on necessarily the color of your skin. The, that's how the majority of the world sees it. Color does play into it. In the rest of the world, they are looking at the shade of skin. And oftentimes marriages won't go through because the family doesn't like the the tone or the shade of the the person that they're going to marry, even if they're from an acceptable tribe or acceptable ethnicity. So it does play into it. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but I'm also pointing out that once you take away ethnicity from race and you make it only about the color of your skin, you get into these problems, these semantics that are confusing because your language is loose. Your language is loose. Here's the rest of this clip by, by Whoopi.
1: If you're uncomfortable if you hear about mouse, should you be worried? Should should your child say, "Oh my God, I I wonder if that's me"? No, that's not what they're gonna say. They're gonna say, "I don't want to be like that." Well, hopefully. I well, want to be cool. Yeah. yeah. And
0: in well, well, so that clip really didn't add much. Apologize for that. Whoopi goes on to double down. So sh- Whoopi gets then called out. This this narrative goes. Whoopi then gets called out. She issues an apology, you know, the the classic, uh, you know, I'm going to learn, you know, thank you for telling me I'm aware of what I said was hurtful. It's not what it meant. And then she goes on, (laughs) she goes on a late night show with Culper and uh, she doubles down. She doubles down on her, her statements that the Holocaust was not about racism. It was about just the badness of humanity, which again, it's like, in in some ways I agree, but I agree in a different, I come to a different conclusion of it, which is, it's not about the color of your skin. It's people are bad, period. And all people have the capacity for evil. You and I, we have the capacity of evil, wickedness in our hearts. We were no different. We're no different than than people who followed orders in killing millions of Jews. No different. That could be you, that could be I. Because evil runs down the center of every man's heart. But she's making the argument in, oh, this white on one thing, that's not racism. That's just people being bad. But this over here is racism. Here's Whoopi. Have you have you come to understand that the Nazis saw it as race? Well, because they might like asking the Nazis, they would say, yes, it's a racial issue. Well, see, this is. Yes. So the Nazis, they saw it as a racial issue. They they said Jews are an ethnic group. Now, I, I get into this conversation here in the Middle East all the time. Oh, well, Jews, they're just a religious group. Well, no, they're they're actually also an ethnic group, a very distinct ethnic group. What's interesting to me because the Nazis lied. oh the Nazis lied. It wasn't they. The Nazis lied. Oh, it wasn't an ethnic group. This, these these people weren't an ethnic group. Why, Whoopi? They had issues
1: with ethnicity, not with race, because most of the
0: Nazis were white people, and most of the people they were attacking were white people. Ah, uh, see, and here's the problem. Here's the problem with Whoopi's statement. Most of the people. They were, were attacking with white were white people, and the people they were attacking were white people. But this is where this is where this construct of race totally breaks down. The Nazis wanted to create an Aryan race, an ethnically pure race. In many places, many genocides around ethnicity. This is racism, but we've redefined racism as structures of power. Why? Because that's what CRT tells us. That's what critical race theory tells us. That's what intersectional race theory tells us, that it is people who are lower in the power structure structure that are being oppressed, and that is racism. And if you are from an Asian American background, if you are from uh, an Indian background and you're living in America and you're, you are succeeding disproportionately successful for your, for your population in places of power and influence. Well, that's because you're using white thinking. That's because you're using the, the strategies of the white man, such as logic and showing up on time. This is what they say. This is what CRT says, I disagree with it. I think this is a totally insane and racist thing to say that showing up on time is a white construct, to say that using reason and the scientific method is a white construct, and that Asian Americans or Asians, period, not just from uh, Far East Asia, but even Central Asia, who use these things are using white thinking And therefore, they are either white passing or white adjacent, even though they're clearly not as far as a tone, skin tone. Insane. It's in, it's just insane. Okay, Whoopi, what else, what else do you have to say for us? So
1: to me, I'm thinking, how can you, how can you say it's about race if you are fighting each other? So are not. It all really began because I said, how will children, how will we explain to children what happened in Nazi Germany? This wasn't, I said, this wasn't racial. It was racial. This was about was white happened. on white. And everybody said, no, 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 it was racial. And so that's what this all came from. So once again, don't write me anymore. I know how you feel. <laughs> okay. I already know. I get it. And, uh. I'm going to take your word for it and never bring it up again. We have to take a quick break, uh, but stick around. We're right back with Take more. your word for we'll it.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm going to take your word for it and never bring it up again. In other words, I totally disagree with you. I totally don't see it the way that you see it. I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm not apologizing. It's white on white, and therefore, it's not racial. It's not ethnic. And again, the 15th time in this episode, it's the problem with using the word race especially when it's defined as it is now, a structure as a color or power, when really it's about ethnicity. It's ethnic struggles, which have been happening for thousands of years, will continue to happen for thousands of years. It's not going away anytime soon. That is what racism is. It's ethnic conflict between people. Well, she got canceled. Should she got canceled for that? I don't know. She should have got canceled probably for a lot of things. I'm not into the canceling. I think if people want to subscribe and listen to Whoopi, that is their prerogative. They should have the right to do it. Just just as I should have the right to be able to subscribe and listen to Joe Rogan, for instance, who's getting canceled. Trying to people are trying to cancel him off of Spotify right now. People are just cutting off their nose to spite their faces and taking their own music off of Spotify, um, which might not be a bad decision as a uh, Depends on how much cash flow they're getting from Spotify. But I'm not a fan of canceling. I can understand why the network would have taken her off the air. Probably just to, to save their butts um, for, you know, what's the word? PR, good PR exposure, or to mitigate the crisis as it's she's just doubling and tripling down on her ideas regarding uh, the Holocaust and how it wasn't about racism when it was clearly, clearly racial. But before it, the issue is, even today, it still should be and stands that it's not white on white, it's ethnic. And these ethnic conflicts, we used to see them as Italians as being a different race, a different nationality. Jews being a different race. Germans being a different race. Irish being a different race. And it still is today and everywhere else in the world. Still is today. Still is today. Well, speaking of canceling, speaking of canceling, the truckers in Canada are canceling the ruling elite. They have had enough. They have had enough with mandates and lockdowns that this all started. This all started because the Canadian government decided to mandate vaccines for truckers. The trucking community, which were called to be a fringe minority in Canada, fringe minority, have blocked up all the roads in Ottawa. They've blocked up uh, international borders going from Canada to Montana. Causing ha- havoc across the country. And right now, three out of 10 people in Canada support these trucker protests. Three out of 10. That's hardly a fringe minority. Well, the police have said that the protest is not lawful and they have resources in place to make arrests and tow, tow vehicles, trucks away. And they said this quote, what may have begun as a peaceful, peaceful assembly quickly turned into an unlawful blockade while Alberta RCMP has begun to position to begun, has been in a position to conduct enforcement. We have been engaging with protesters and we will begin to arrest and tow if we need be. Well, so they call here's this. Is, this is great. The police made requests to local towing companies to assist in the removing of vehicles participating in the blockade at the border, including those in Calgary and other cities across Canada. But (laughs) the towing companies were unwilling to do so, according to a report from the Western Standard 1. A company, Citywide Towing, told the Western Standard that it had had sent tow trucks to help support stranded drivers at the blockade and that none of its vehicles stay on scene to assist the authorities. In other words, the tow trucks are like, no way. We're standing with the truckers. We're not gonna turn on our own. We're not gonna help you tow these guys. We want to see these mandates lifted. What do they want specifically? The national movement of truckers began after the federal government imposed a requirement for COVID-19 vaccination for all drivers crossing the U.S.-Canadian border. But the movement has since expanded to request the lifting of all provincial and federal COVID-19 restrictions and mandates. One of those mandates that Canada was going to put in place was going to tax the unvaccinated. They were they were literally going to tax Quebec was going to tax people who were unvaccinated to make up for the the cost of those who have to go to the hospital because the unvaccinated are not taking their carrying their fair share. Uh just wildly crazy. Uh here's a clip by Dennis Prager. On uh, commenting on what's happening with the truckers, it's another
1: example that the uh, uh, the upper classes are are the tyrants, mm-hmm. and the 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 middle class and lower class prefer liberty. Yes, it, it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And I know this uh, for my whole life because my field of study was communism, incredibly, mm-hmm. given the world that we live in now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it, uh, one observer noted all the support for Stalin in, in America and the West, and said it was the intellectuals
0: who supported Stalin. The hard hats hated him. Yep. What Dennis is saying is, during the Soviet Union, it was the the lower and middle class in the rest of the world who were against Stalin, who resisted Stalin, who did not like him. But it was the ruling elites who were very pro-Stalin. They really liked what was happening. And he's saying, here again, we look at these mandates, we look at these, the, the, the ruling elite seeking to control and have power over society, over people who also at the same time sit far above the law. These kings of, of modern day, they see themselves above the law and as elite seek to rule the masses and tell the masses how they ought to live because they know best. You should be happy in your little life down there. And we're going to control and tell you exactly how to be happy we're going to tell you exactly how to live. We're going to rule your life, but it's the the middle class, the lower class, who resist tyranny, and it has been for thousands of years. The resisting of tyranny and the embracing of freedom comes from the lower and the middle class, the people who are saying, "No, we don't want. We don't want you to tell us how we ought to live. Give us." Our freedoms give us our rights. Don't tell us where we can't go, what restaurants we can or can't eat at. What businesses are essential or non-essential? Uh, and about those businesses being essential or non-essential, that is the exact language they used in the Holocaust. By the way. Oh, are you an essential are you an ins- essential worker? Oh, no, you're a, you're a geography teacher. You're not an essential worker. You're not essential to the war. Sorry, Jew, we're going to liquidate you right now. Oh, you, and this is what they did to the Jews, by the way, just that's why I used the word Jew. It wasn't a racial ethnic slur. You, You are a metal worker. Okay, that is an essential worker because we are going to be able to use you in a labor camp to build our German war machine, our Nazi war machine. This is the same language that was used, that we're using today when it comes to businesses. Oh, your business isn't an essential business? Ah, you got to close your doors. You can't be in business because you're not an essential worker. Your business isn't essential. You don't matter. This is why people are making and drawing parallels between what happened in Nazi Germany in the Holocaust, which is what's happening today. This is why, because some of the same language is being used to separate populations, even between essential and non-essential workers. Well, did which then brings us to the question, do these lockdowns, do these mandates work? Do they actually work to save lives? Do they actually work to reduce mortality? That's what we were told. Remember, beginning of 2022 lockdowns, 186 nations imposed bans on work, socialization, in-person schooling, travel and other restrictions. Many places you couldn't leave your city, you you had night curfews, couldn't visit with your family, kids being pulled out of school. There's been a massive uptick in kids needing to uh, see language therapists because kids are no longer able to see people's Lips moving because of masks. What are we doing? What are we really doing to this? Gener- what have we done? And in some places continue to do to this generation. And does it work? Will it work in reducing mortality? Well, a study came out of John Hopkins University that said lockdowns in the US and Europe had little to no impact in reducing deaths from COVID-19, according to new analysis, analysis of researchers, done. John Hopkins, this is from The Hill, or Washington Times, excuse me. The study said, we find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures, and limiting gatherings have had noticeable effects on COVID-19 mortality, the researchers wrote. They have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, and contributing to domestic violence and undermining liberal democracy. So what? Lockdowns. Who? Oh, yeah. What is it good for? It's good for reducing economic activity. It's good for raising unemployment. It's good for making our kids stupid because they're not in school. It's good for political unrest. It's good for domestic violence. It's good for undermining liberal democracies. Great. So now if the ruling elite know this, if they know this, they have the data, they have the data, they have the science in front of them, we got to follow the science. Then it would stand to reason that those people who seek to continue to institute and mandate global lockdowns, international lockdowns, that the WHO has previously said was not effective. It seems that there could be ulterior motives of bringing social unrest, of causing big problems that they can then step in and solve and make a lot of money from. Oh my goodness. Overall, they conclude that the lockdowns were not an effective, effective way of reducing mortality rates during a pandemic, at least not in the first wave of the pandemic. This study, when you look at the actual data, it was it, it was limited in its scope. It was looking at U.S. and Europe, and it was looking at the the lockdowns from March to September of 2020. Now, these were not looking at uh, voluntary measures that people took, but they were looking at mandated measures such as no indoor dining, uh, quarantines, the closing of schools and businesses. So it was limited in its scope. It wasn't the everything that every nation did. It was limited in its scope. It said that the these strict lockdowns on average only reduced deaths by 02 percent point only reduced them by 02 percent of morality rates. It also said for for full transparency that when looking at specific measures not just the broad lockdowns, but some specific measures did prove to be helpful in reducing deaths by approximately 10.6%. One of those is the the closing of non-essential businesses. It also said that the shelter-in-place mandates, again, I think are just ridiculous, uh, reduced deaths by 2.9%. This is what the average in these studies show. So it's not just 0.2%, but that was on average. But they did say that some specific things proved to reduce mortality rates. So figure to throw in that caveat in there just for the sake of honesty and clarity. But what lockdowns, what, what, what's gonna happen? What is the future of lockdowns? Is there a future in lockdowns? Well, yes, yes, there is. Don't worry if you loved lockdowns because you had an excuse to stay at home and binge your life away on Netflix. And uh if you if you love the fact that you couldn't go to a park, couldn't go outside, couldn't go to beaches, zoos, uh, if you like that, don't worry. More of it is coming your way. And it's not just a uh it's not just a fairy tale, it's not just hype. But in November of 2020, the Red Cross proclaimed that climate change is a bigger threat than COVID-19 and should be confronted with the same urgency. It's climate change, ladies and gentlemen. Climate change. we Are are we going to see climate lockdowns? Just like we saw COVID lockdowns that start gradually and discreetly and that slowly ramp up putting special carbon taxes on people who don't comply, making people who question these car- carbon tax, question the, the movement restrictions, questioning people who, why do some people have special rights to travel and other, other people don't? Well, those people will probably be labeled as climate deniers or simply a domestic terrorist. But the fact of the matter is, the real fact of the matter is, that deaths from natural disasters have fallen by two thirds over the past five decades. Two thirds. However, again, these ruling elites insist that climate change is the biggest threat that modern humans have ever faced. The biggest threat that modern humans have ever faced. Political leaders have learned, this is this is from uh, The Hill. This is the article from The Hill. Political leaders have learned that fear promotes the public to accept dramatic curtailings of freedoms for vague promises of safety. They must realize the incredible power at their fingertips. COVID-19 gave the government mouse a cookie. And power-hungry officials and bureaucrats can utilize the precedents of the past 2 years to institute a much longer and much more comprehensive lockdown the ruling elites they have a different agenda and that agenda is not to keep you safe it's not to keep me safe that's my job the government is the government's job is not to keep me safe it's not to provide for me the government is not my daddy it's not but we have a responsibility to keep our family safe to raise our families, to strengthen our communities. That's our job. And endless lockdowns with vague promises, vague promises of safety. The the measures that they're suggesting to save the planet from climate change, which notice it moved from global warming to climate change because they realized that they couldn't really prove global warming. These vague promises are going to cause, I hope they don't, but could cause millions to trade their lives to be locked down because of fear in this vague promise of a future. While the ruling elites, you know, they get their free passes to travel to these climate change change summits on their jets. What's the carbon imprint and footprint that they have? Again, it's just two it's just two two different spheres, two different segments and echelons of society as, to pull this all in as we reflect on this, and we we think about the the broad like what do we take away from this besides just being enraged at the insanity that we live in and it makes us feel more powerless? this can all make us feel more powerless, but I reflect on this, and this is why to get out. It's truth, living in truth that leads to freedom, right? It's the truth that sets you free. And truth is not just knowledge, but it has to be lived out. It has to be lived out. And no matter what circumstances you are in, if you personally are living out truth, you have freedom in those areas. You can live free, no matter. Whether there's government instituted lockdowns or not, you can live free. So in this, I, I I I zoom back out, or maybe I zoom back in, and I think about our personal lives, and I ask myself, what is the what is the principle, what is the truth that we ought to grab onto to implement into our lives so that we can walk out in our purpose, and one of those truths. I believe is humility. That the ruling elite that we see today seem to really lack empathy and seem to lack humility in those that they lead. And what I mean by this is even when you look at language like non-essential worker, when when a quote unquote essential worker politician is just white-collar politician is still making their income, still making their checks. They're still profiting from the stock market, but they're putting blue collar workers, low income workers who are eating week to week and month to month, day to day. There are millions of people in India who are day laborers. And if they don't work that day, they don't eat that night. Their families don't eat that night. Lockdowns across India have put millions of people into Starvation that are already on the, they're on, like, they're in poverty. They're living probably underneath $2 a day. These have real world implications. And when the, the data shows, the science shows that these lockdowns are not saving lives, I look at it and I take a step back and say, okay, we need to have empathy for those that we're leading. We need to have empathy for whether it's our children, our employees or our spouses, our friends that we're leading. We need to lead with empathy. And that takes humility. It takes humility when we're leading to feel, take a step back, a step down and say, let me see you, my children, as a human being. Let me see you, my employees, as human beings and what you are feeling. And then how do I manage the good of the whole with?" The essential needs of the individual, of the empathy of the individual, and giving freedom to that individual, freedom to make their own choices as we can. And this is one thing we continue to do with our children from a very young age. We always seek to give our kids autonomy and freedom to make their choices to get their food, to do things for themselves to make them strong and powerful people. I do this with when, with employees when we're working on a project together. I always seek to give the most amount of creative freedom that I can to them so that they can grow and have empathy and say, what, what do you think is gonna be best for you in this situation? It doesn't always work. But we need to lead with humility and empathy, and that is a gate that enters into that field of truth where we live in freedom. Rather than being a micromanager, rather than being someone who is leading from a place of being above the law, this is is how we step into purpose. This is how we step into truth. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reasons for post-modern irrationality, the absurd, it finally makes sense. Well, I'm sure today that Whoopi should have won the position for, yeah, that makes sense, uh, as it was a perfect perfect spot. But instead, we have something a little bit more uh, light, maybe light, I don't know, it's pretty violent, and insane. So there is something... For those of you who uh are not American, uh, <laughs> that's an American uh institution, if you will, and that is the Golden Corral. The Golden Corral is a steak buffet restaurant. You come, you pay your $24.99 or your $19.99, I don't even know what it is. And you go to the Golden Corral, and it just even the name of it, it's I get this picture of a a farm with troughs and uh, slop being thrown down and the animals just gathering around and eating to their heart's delight until they're stuffed and gorged. And you know, of course, the the food at these places are just stuffed full of starches to fill up your belly, grease, uh, oh man. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a fan of the Golden Corral, I don't know. But the, the thought of it right now, maybe because it's early in the morning, is just, oh, it kind of makes your stomach turn. You can you can already feel the stomach ache from afterwards. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness! Here's if you're if you're listening and not watching, I will I will do my best to describe the scene that we are about to see that took place in the Golden Corral, which is a steak buffet, by the way, and they ran out of steaks. And so what what is the response of these uh, kind and loving people at the Golden Corral? Well, let's see. You, you can see a group of people amassed around some tables, yelling. Everyone's yelling. Up. Oh, chairs start coming out. People start picking up tables up. Oh, and now, a full-on brawl where people are throwing high chairs, people are throwing tables, people are brawling. the The staff is begins to this one brave lady towards the end of the clip comes in to break up a fight where people are literally picking up tables, those big heavy tables with the metal axes at the bottom, uh, to try to th- and throwing them across the room at other people. A full-on brawl. This one brave lady steps in to get this guy to put down a table and people are still throwing chairs in insanity this i mean i'm sure this is not new to to the world i'm sure that in the wild wild west and in the stone ages and in the medieval times in the dark ages there were brawls over food all the time no doubt no doubt this is not a new phenomenon but it does show the decadence that we live in, in today's society. The decadence. Here we are at an all-we-can-eat all buffet, and we run out of steak. Steak, of all things. A luxury, a decadence. And uh, we go crazy. Because we can't have all-that-we-can-eat steak. Sure, it can show a sign of, oh, look, the supply chain is breaking down. But I think what more it shows, at least to me, is the, as I said, the decadence that we live in, the spoiled, the spoiledness that we live in, that we live like kings. We live like kings. And what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with your privilege? Because we really do. We all, every person alive today has an immense amount of privilege. Every single person what are we going to do about it? How are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives in a way that lays our life down for other people, that sacrifices something of worth to make a an impact? Well, I hope so. That's what I I certainly want to do. My wife and I, a little sidebar, my wife and I uh, watched Schindler's Schindler's List the other week, which is a story of Oscar Schindler saving thousands. He was a, a Nazi in Nazi Germany, and he profited off of the slave laborers of Jews. But then his heart was transformed, of someone who was just a a womanizer who loved money, to all of a sudden one of empathy and humility. And he ended up buying with millions of dollars and paying for over one thousand three hundred Jews to be. Rescued by extracting them out of these death camps and putting into into camps to work in his factories, but he's saving their lives. And uh, at the end of his this the film, and at the end of his life in real life, it's a true story. He's he's saved thousands of lives, or a thousand lives, thousand three hundred. And the war is over, and he has this moment, and he he realizes. He looks at his ring. He looks at his car, and he says, "I could have." That car could have saved ten more lives that this this pin it's cold it could have saved one maybe two one one more life i could have I could have gotten one more soul out, but I was so self consumed even in the midst of my saving thousands of people I was self consumed and that really struck me and my wife at the heart and I want to be someone who doesn't hold on to the temporal things of this world of of the decadence and softness that we live in but I want to burn my life out burn my resources out to impact the most amount of lives well in order to do that in order to stay on the show on the show in order for the show to stay on the air uh well it's done by viewers and listeners like you thousands of people tune into this show every month and we are so grateful that you are here, that you give your time and attention to this program, to this production. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's such an honor, honestly. Uh, But we don't have big, massive sponsors. We're not playing ads in the middle of the show every five minutes, but this show is provided and supported by viewers like you. So if you get value out of the show, we ask that you'd give value back to the show in the measure that you received it. And you can do that by giving your hard-cold fiat at lucasscrobot.com backslash support. You give your hard-cold fiat there, or if you are into the Bitcoins, uh, you can stream Satoshi's sats on Podcasting 2.0 certified apps like Podfriend, Praise, Sphinx, or Podstation, and that as you listen to this show or your other shows that you love to listen to, you can stream one cents and two cents per minute that you listen, and that would be one great way that you can support the show. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote comes from the one and only Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this, wrote this: "The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time." This is what we're seeing. With I was in I was in a cab just a couple of days ago talking to uh, the cab driver. He was just rattling on, just just impassioned. Rattling on about how many people have lost their businesses because they had to close their doors. How many people have lost their, their livelihoods? How many million, uh, millions, but hundreds of thousands of people have left, lost their jobs, businesses closed. And he said, people, people aren't dying. And I know this is, uh, this is what he said. People aren't dying from corona. They're dying from fear. Now, I understand people are actually dying from Corona. That's not what I'm saying. So don't fake news me. But this is what he's saying. People are dying from fear. They're dying from fear, not from this other thing, but they're losing their lives because of paralyzing fear that they are under. And this is why people are willing to give up their their lives and go into lockdowns to lose their livelihoods because it's the fear of death which follows from the fear of life. People aren't, are, are, aren't willing to live and are afraid to live. We normally don't include a, a, a article in this section of the show, but there was a study that found that fear is contagious. That fear is a contagion. And when you are around people who are experiencing fear, when you're in the crowd, there's not safety in numbers, but there's fear in numbers. That when someone else begins afraid, they release pheromones and hormones, and your body picks up on that and smells that and follows those social cues, and you move further into fear. So two takeaways from that is one, go alone. Start alone. It's okay to be someone who forges out when everyone else is afraid because oftentimes that groupthink mentality can bind you into groupthink and can be very dangerous when we're bound up in fear. The other thing is be a person who leads those groups, who settles and calms the hearts and the minds and does not fearmonger. Well, that is all for today's episode. So thank you so much for being here listening and supporting the show we could not do it without you if if you want to get more value out of the show one of the ways is by telling someone that you love about the episode text them text them the episode don't just post it on social media and say hey i listened to the show he said a bunch of crazy things what do you think also if you have a question you can whatsapp me at plus +12029220220 ask me a question about this episode or any other episodes and if the question is bad enough i will definitely answer it here right on the show remember you are someone who who goes out who pursues and lives in truth in humility and empathy which enables you to own the future